Hi, I'm Douglas Jackson, and this is The Art of It, conversations on creativity and leadership. It's a podcast of the Roanoke Arts Commission. And today, my guest is Heather Marshall, who is a teacher and an artist. And that's all I'm going to say. We're going to find out a lot more about Heather now. Heather, thanks for spending a Sunday afternoon with me. Thank you so much for having me. And let me ask you first, think back when you were a kid, you know, what was one of the first times that you um, had some creative insight, you felt the spark and it was reinforced? What got you on this path? I know exactly the story that I'll share. I was in kindergarten. Um, I have always been a, a, a realist, an observer, I guess, of uh, my surroundings. And so I was, uh, I was making a drawing of something and I had drawn people and then I wanted to um, color them. And so I got the closest thing I could to my skin, which was orange at the time. And I, I colored myself orange, I remember. And the teacher came over and criticized me for it, you know? And I, I will never forget that. And I was just like, um, people are not white like the paper lady. <laughs> so, you know, then uh, that is a very clear moment that I remember just thinking that no matter what she told me, she was just completely wrong about how I could color the people. <laughs> I did not appreciate her commentary. So um, I remember that. I'm sure lots of kids who have been told that they were doing something wrong because it was different from what other people, other kids were doing or what was expected of them. Uh, but I can't imagine that every child has the wherewithal and strength and artistic vision to say, no, my people should be orange and they're going to be orange. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it depends on the child, how they respond. Right. But uh, I certainly was was not about that. <laughs> and, and where was this? This was in Maryland, uh, where I grew up at the, the local elementary school. Um, and we didn't have a separate art teacher in, in the kindergarten class. We just, this was not like a, an art activity. It was just making art throughout the course of the day, which you do a lot of in kindergarten. So I do want to put that out there, that it, it wasn't an art teacher that said that to me. <laughs> just a classroom teacher. <laughs> but, gotcha. So, so a little bit of, of, of arts education or pedagogy would, would, would help, would help with that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure. I mean, things are, um, I think especially when it comes to depicting self and people, we are so much more aware and thoughtful about that now than, um, I feel people were when I was a kindergartner. Well, I, I want to, go two different directions with you. One, I want to talk about your studio practice and and, and the, the work that you're creating now. And then I want to talk about your work with, with students and your philosophy of, around teaching and, and art. Uh, so first, uh, how do you describe your work? Um, I am a realist. Um, I use oil paint. Um, I like to create highly detailed work. Um, I've gone through periods uh, where I explore different types of subject matter, but I think overall, if you look at my work as a body, um, I have many architectural pieces and I really have a special place in my heart for architecture. Um, I think a lot about the relationship between architecture and class, architecture and culture, 
and I find those things very interesting. Also architecture and the passage of time. Um, somehow architecture um, really creates a lot of links for me between, um, or, or metaphors for me, I think, between um, our existence and, I mean, these they're dwellings that we occupy. They get old, they change, they're, they're patched up over time. I mean, there's just tons of things that they indicate about our own existence. And so um, that's really where my head is at a lot of the time. Um, my son, who's 10 now, he's uh, often frustrated with me. We, we do a lot of traveling. Um, he plays travel soccer and then, you know, we, we have family all over the region. So I often will, will stop and photograph something, you know, if we pass a building or something that I just, I have to have it. <laughs> so, and he's always in the car saying, mom, what are you doing? It's just a broken down building, you know? So, um, anyway, that, that's how I would describe it. Uh, heavily architecture based, um, always going after a metaphor to our existence and, um, very highly detailed oil paint. So a very particular surface that I like to create in the end. As you're, I spent a little bit of time on your website going through your, your work. Uh, and I, um, a few pieces came to mind when you were describing that, but one in particular is the, the span of the bridge by Carillion with yeah. the, both the, the rail bridge and, and the, the auto bridge and uh, the underside of the bridge and even the graffiti that was on there at one point. And I remember that. I remember that graffiti. But that's you remember a, that heart? I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I loved that heart right there. That was very symbolic to me. That's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, I'm looking for. It's, you know, in the midst of all that concrete and rail and just there, there was great perspective, I thought, in that too, that created space. Um, it was just after the river had flooded, so there were, you know, some crushed trees on the side, and then there was that, that heart right there, and I was like, that's saying something. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that you remember that heart. I, I think about it every time I go past there and it's covered over now. I was like, <laughs> you know, I just think that wasn't offensive. Why did we need to cover that? It made me feel good. I liked the heart. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that wasn't offensive, but the next thing that came along after it was. Yeah, so, so that's what, yeah. yes, whatever, whatever went over top of that. <laughs> that's what yeah. we'll go with. <laughs> do any plein air or do you do everything from in studio um, from from photographs yeah i do once in a while i'll get a bug to like go paint outside um but i really don't like it it's uncomfortable to me um like sometimes the uh just like things flying in your paint when a little dust comes along like you know, uh, just not having all my setup of where to put my brushes and things like that. So it's just, <clears throat> it's never been my favorite. Um, but I don't use subjects that I haven't encountered in the real world. That is something that feels disconnected to me. So for example, if I, you know, someone sends me a picture of something and wants me to do it, I just, can't get inside of it. I've never been able to. It's so a, a lot of times when I'm documenting stuff, I'm trying to get photos as references to help me create the painting that kind of pops into my head. Um, some people have suggested to me before that I should show my reference photos with my paintings um, so that 
uh, I guess people can kind of see where my my edits come in from my my imagination or the way that I'm pushing certain value contrast or texture or color to kind of elevate it to where I want it. Um, but I, I never do because then people will just see, you know, what a bad photographer I am. And, and I really, I don't really want it to become so much about that process either. That's, you know, not, not really where I want people's thoughts to be going is a, a compare and contrast between my painting and the, the photograph. It's, it's more like I'm a magician or something then and they're trying to figure out how I did it, you know? Yeah, it becomes very technical. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't want it to, to go that way, so... I've always avoided those suggestions. <laughs> I think uh, one thing that I I am thinking about now, and, and this is probably going to have to be some very brave kind of um, experimenting and departure from the compositions I usually use, and that is to tell more story behind what it is that I'm doing. Um, a lot of times, you know, even when I talk to to my art dealer, you know, I'll show her an image and then I'll start telling her where I got it from and what the circumstances were and stuff like that. And and I do this with other people too. And I've noticed that they're very interested in the, the story. And um, and so I try to think, you know, I'm, I, maybe for the past couple of years, I know that sounds like a long time to be thinking about something like that. But when you're, you're trying to change your form and evolve it into something that's new and resolved, it takes a long time. So, um, so that's where I'm at is trying to figure out how I can, uh, share more of the story as well in my paintings. So I'll figure it out. <laughs> I, I think that's admirable and, and really important. And I've been thinking about that a lot as we're changing out the sculpture down on the art walk and you know how these, uh, city programs work. Uh, we lease art, uh, based on a theme and we'll lease it for two years or artists will create art uh, for the call. And the, and some pieces, you know, they kind of a natural fit and the, and the jury responds to them really well, but the story isn't there. The story and the connection to Roanoke and the place isn't, isn't quite there. We can, we can retrofit a story and, and make it, make it align. But where I get really excited is where, there is an authentic yeah. story. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Through alignment. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like just walking under that bridge. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's I'm glad that there's someone else who experienced that. That I can't tell you how happy it makes me that you found that connection to that painting. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. and as as well loved as the Greenway is, especially that part of the Greenway right there by the healing garden. I I, I think a lot of people would res- respond to that piece yeah. as well yeah. yeah so how did you how did you end up in Roanoke uh my parents retired on Smith Mountain Lake and um I had been painting full-time for a couple of years in Chicago and I don't know how many people listening have tried to make it as a full-time painter but it's touch and go it's a very touch and go um and I had been out of graduate school for a while um and I just didn't know where I wanted to go at the time, or, but it was, I, I was getting exhausted by the, the struggle. Um, also, it, when you paint uh, independently, 
like in my situation, I also had to watch my money. So I would just, my home was my studio and I still always have a studio space set, set up in my home, but I was too isolated. Um, I'm kind of a, a you know, two-sided coin where I can be very social and I love being around people. And then when I'm done, I'm done. And I need to be by myself to recharge. And I definitely need to be by myself to get into the zone to make my work. When I sit down to work, I like to paint for six hours, eight hours. I don't like to paint for one hour. You know, I'm just getting warmed up with one hour. So anyway, so I, I was very isolated and I didn't realize it at the time, but that was a big part of my struggle in, in maintaining that lifestyle as well. So I had a show to finish and um, this was also when the um, housing market dropped out and, and people were not buying a lot of work. They were not. So I was looking at like, I guess it's time to put myself in a position to make a change. So um, I came down to just stay with my parents and I was going to figure out if I wanted to go to Baltimore, Philadelphia or New York. Um, and I noticed after being out here for maybe two months that I just absolutely felt better. I love the beauty of the area. I still never get tired of those mornings where we have that like really orange light that goes over everything, that like pinkish orange. I mean, it's just gorgeous around here and that really does something for me. Um, and I hadn't really realized that about myself till, you know, I wasn't in the city again. So, um, Anyway, I started looking for teaching jobs um, in colleges. There wasn't a lot available in the area. Um, and so I ended up, um, you know, trying high school. And um, I mean, I didn't even know they had cell phones in high school when I started. I was surprised by that. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're allowed to, you know, I was like, I because mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 25 or something, you know, so. I, it was just really funny to walk back into a high school after so long, but then I started to um, learn so much more about um, education, art education um, at the, you know, K through 12 level, and that in itself is an art, you know, um, learning, learning to teach that and draw out of the students. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's what brought me here and that's how I stayed. So. Well, you sent me something recently that really, I got, I got, you should have seen me, I got super excited uh, when I was reading about a project you've been working on and uh, how it connects to your, your practice in the studio with the students and the work that you're doing with them. And this podcast is on creativity and leadership. And I felt like it just, it just really hit the nail on the head there. Um, and those are not just, you know, when you're, when you're working with students and they're developing their their practices, um, they, you're you're they're doing it really thoughtfully, and you're helping them in, in that way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, in in my search to to be a better teacher of art, no matter where I'm at, um, I realized that I needed to be able to explain to students what the benefit is of trying and of, of doing it. Um, the motivation piece, a lot of, a lot of students, no matter what you're a student of, you need that motivation piece. So in my search for that, I came across a book called Studio Thinking 2. 
um, The Real Benefits of Visual Art Education by Hetland et al. And that is where I first learned about something called the eight studio habits of mind. And they are habits that are developed through art practice and learning. Um, a lot of times in education, people validate the arts by connecting them to core subjects. We're doing some math in this. We're doing some science in this. Well, of course, you know, we have museums all over the world and, you know, books three inches thick about art, right? Um, but how do you, people will say when you try to defend it with the core subjects, well, I'm already learning math and math. Why do I need to learn math, you know, in art? Well, so I don't really think that's the best validation. I think everyone who's involved in art practice in the art world and, you know, we understand the connection, the broad connection to pretty much everything. We see how, how it's, um, in design, we see how it's in our daily lives all over the place, like, you know, how art plays into it. But um, for students and for learners, um, you really have to come up with something that just the art making is going to give you, where, you know, you can't say it's valid because it's related to something else or another subject. So I was really excited to find the eight habits of mind because they are something that are practices that you can use in every area of your life, but it is something that I think is unique to the study of art and visual art in particular. So let's talk a little bit about those those eight habits. Okay. Yeah, what, what are some of them? Okay, so um, these, these are what the eight studio habits of mind are, and they're not in any particular order. Um, so I, it's not like I followed the book. These are just how I introduce them to my students. Um, develop craft, you're learning to use tools and materials in the practices of an art form, okay? Engage and persist, you're learning to embrace problems of importance and develop focus. Envision, learning to picture mentally artwork and imagine possible next steps in making a piece. Express, learning to create works that convey an idea, a feeling, or a personal meaning. Observe, learning to look more closely to see things that otherwise might not be seen. Reflect, learning to talk about and assess, and assess your artwork. Stretch and explore, learning to reach beyond my capacity and embrace the opportunity to learn from my mistakes. And understand art worlds, learning about art history and learning to interact as an artist with other artists. So those are the eight. I, we could spend an hour on each one of them because yeah. I, 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 see, I see the value and I see that I see the benefit everything from that that persistence uh, to the reflection and you know being able to the, the communication aspect and the connection aspect between uh -huh. the other with other artists so let's let's go very um, let's tell a story maybe uh, do you have any students that have really responded to this or that you've seen them grab hold of? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple that I can share where some some of these practices have have paid off. So in introducing them, um, I had a student who um, when came when he came into the class was not real interested um, and uh, really it's I it was a special case where 
it was very difficult to tell what the student had drawn when the student was doing an observational drawing. Like you just could not put together what he was or the student was seeing. Okay. So, um, we worked at it and worked at it. And this is where observe comes in. So a, a lot of times students don't really see what's right in front of them. And learning to draw better is really about learning to see better. It's learning to say, I see this point right here and I see this point right here and I see how this contour connects them. So sometimes you, you literally, you know, I, I physically start students out with almost doing a dot to dot. So this is what we did with him. And, um, and I told him, you have to be persistent, and the only way to get better is to practice. So we had a couple things going on here. We were working on observing and seeing what's truly in front of us, observing and making observations that he had not noticed before about relationships um, between things in space, and then being able to start to plot that out on his paper. Um, and then the engage and persist. So no matter how difficult it might be, not to give up or to shut down towards the activity. So it can be very challenging to ask a student who is at that level, like to draw in front of other students, right? So um, he did, he stuck with it. And um, when we did critiques, every time you could tell more and more what it was that he was drawing. And by the time he did his last one and put it up, you know, and he was, he was by far not the most naturally capable person in the class, but he put that drawing up and, and everything was there and everything was observed and it came together in a way where we could all see what it was that he saw. And that was a beautiful moment. That's where the observation and the persistence and that practice came through. And the way that I hope that translates into this person's life is that the next time they're challenged with something that they don't think they can do, whether it's a piece of Ikea furniture or it's, you know, um, I have no idea what, you know, getting, getting your dream job and working towards it, that that persistence and that ability to keep trying and keep finding ways to make it work, that that is the habit that will carry through. And that's something that he could gain from being in art education that he might not gain from another class. So at critiques, you know, we go around and um, we talk about very specific things. We share what we're gonna work on to improve the next time. So even if you're the best student in the class, you can still find something to improve on. So that kind of evens out the playing field between you and the person that might not be the best in the class. We all have room to grow, right? So yes, they, we celebrated, and I'm sure I led the celebration. And we, you know, we were all proud of him, and he was proud of himself, and it was a great moment. And everybody in the class saw his progress and his hard work, and that's that has an effect, I think, on them too. You know, the other people in the classroom were like, "Well, this guy can do it. I can do it." You know, so uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. So you you have to work in the critique situation to establish that communication and support. You got to establish that you're not going to approach anybody's work with a negative attitude or make fun of it. It's all about, you know, all right, let's break it down and you know what do we need to work on to make it better next time. So. Mm -hmm. Everybody's everybody gets the same treatment in that way. <laughs> yeah. And it is something that I think is it, it's beautiful about a, a learning situation, you know, in the classroom. Everyone is there to learn. Um, and hopefully even the teacher is there to learn as well. Um, you know, if we can create an environment where we are learning together, 
whether it's in a community or in a sports team or in a neighborhood or in a family. Um, you know, we can do anything. We can grow in, in ways we, we can't even imagine. Um, but there's something that, that prevents us sometimes from being willing to learn in front of other people. You know, and I think often about like, you know, being an elected official, how difficult that is in a, in a community because, you know, you, you run, you campaign uh, and then you're in a position and people expect you to know things or expect you expect you to have the decision, you know, or, or, or information like right at the drop of a, of a, of a hat. Uh, and it's not it's not necessarily the case. Um, but if we can, you know, I love watching when because I think we've got terrific leaders in the community and I, I thank them for, for, for serving, especially the ones who are able to, to kind of learn together in community while they're trying to face a really tough challenge. You know, yeah. we do have tough challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And so I agree. I, I think it is. Um, and, and that's hard as a teacher too. Um, like you're talking about the public official, um, you don't know everything. And sometimes, um, it takes, a, it took me a long time to learn. I mean, when I first started out, I, you know, I had taught college, I had taught some summer camps and, um, you know, K through 12 was a, a new, a new adventure for me. And, um, and it was wild. And, and I, I would, I guess, really just talk to the students and try to get to know them a lot. Like relationship building is really number one. And um, yeah, I mean, there's times where I've, I've made mistakes in front of 30 people and it's really embarrassing, you know, where you make the, the, you give someone some advice on their work and it doesn't really turn out the way you would have thought, you know, or you, you think they understand what you said and you come back to their work and it's covered with a huge ink blot and you're like, oh no. <laughs> so there's, there is that, that stress. Um, and I think that's something that you just learn to finesse with experience, but you have to be open to it too. I think the worst thing is to be a leader that doesn't think you have anything to learn. I, I think that is the worst. And to be a leader that is not able to admit, hey, I could have made a better choice in this situation. Let's try to rectify it. Or, you know, you you have to have that humility about yourself in order to grow. So. Yeah, I'd say the leader that doesn't have that ability is a, is a dangerous <laughs> yeah, I believe that's a tyrant. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. 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 I, I was thinking too in the example you shared about observation mm -hmm. as well. Um, because we don't always look at what's around us or we think we know what's around us or we think we see something. And then when we go to look at it a little deeper, it's not what we thought it was. Yes. That, that is one of the um, basic concepts students need to understand in order to draw more representationally their world around them, um, is that there's a difference between what you your mind thinks you see and what you really see. And when you can start to show them that um, and take them through that learning process, it's really amazing to see them open up to it and how they adjust throughout those weeks where we're working on, on observational drawing. Um, and also just also, like bringing home the relevance of observing your surroundings. Um, when you look back at art history, you can ask students to tell you what they think the fashion was, the accessories were, what was the, you know, it culture of the time based on these paintings that you're looking at or these artworks. 
Um, and so you try to help students realize that they're making, um, when they're making art, they're making a record of their existence and what they're experiencing during their existence that's relevant and that's going to be interesting to somebody a hundred years from now. You know, even if they find your, your scrapbook, like look at Pompeii, you know, everything we find in Pompeii is just, you know, oh, a record of, of how these people live. You know, so you, you just try to have them at least consider the bigger picture when they're in there and how it is important to make a rough record of something you might think is kind of mundane and silly, like, you know, hey, you're at home, it's virtual school, draw your surroundings, what's in your room at 16? You know, and if you come across that sketchbook again at 25, you're gonna enjoy seeing that, that record that you made and you'll, you'll be taken back to that moment. So anyway, that's, I, I do think observation <clears throat> is really important and observation of three-dimensional space and not just through photographs. And, and that's for someone that, that, from someone that uses photographs as a heavy, <laughs> heavy component of their own work. But, uh, you know, I, I, and I, I encourage students at a more advanced level to start getting their own sources as soon as possible. You know, stop pulling stuff off the internet, really start to look at your own surroundings, take pictures of, you know, your own people and, and use them. You don't need to pull the model off of Google to do the drawing. You know, you have someone right in your household who is gonna make a captivating portrait. <laughs> it could be yourself. <laughs> so anyway, um, I also think that allows us to um, bring in students different culture to you know there's a lot of emphasis on really um, acknowledging and celebrating the diversity um, in our world now um, and that that's an opportunity to do that when you have people observing their own world and sharing those images it, it brings everyone's experience into the critique and it shares and we grow from that makes me want to be in your class <laughs> we do have fun in general. Sometimes yeah. I get mad. <laughs> Thank you. I've got one or two quick wrap-up things. We're running against the edge of our time. Okay. Uh, and I want to ask, one, what, what gives you kind of optimism around the future? You're working with young people. What makes you feel good about the future? Oh, that there's just, uh, like some absolutely incredible young people who are going to be going to college and moving into leadership positions as I age. Kids that are way ahead of where I was at their age. I just feel very hopeful they're going to be in leadership roles one day. I really hope a lot of them come back to our community. They're worldly, they are um, motivated, they are um, open, accepting, loving, um, just I'm very hopeful and we're going to send off a bunch of kids again out into the world that are going to do amazing things and I love love seeing it so I've, I have a lot of hope I love the kids I love working with them I, I have a lot of hope for the future that things are going to be good great well Heather Marshall I want to thank you for spending some time with me uh, on the art of it conversations on creativity and leadership and I know people were thinking about you building those stories uh, with your images. And uh, if folks want to go look at some of your work, where should they go? They can go to uh, Linda Warren Projects. If you Google Linda Warren Projects, um, she's in consulting now, but you can still see some of my artwork on her page. 
Um, I also have uh, H Martial Art on Instagram, so I have some of my work up there. Um, but between those two sites, you can you can find examples of my work, and you know, feel free to get in touch. <laughs> Great. Thank you again. That was Heather Marshall. I'm Douglas Jackson. This has been the Art of It Conversations on Creativity and Leadership uh, podcast from the Roanoke Arts Commission. All right. Thank you so much, Doug.